together is very powerful, very uplifting. I think everybody would agree with that. And we, we get much more in our communication, communication with each other, you know, other than just text or phone calls or, or Zoom meetings. Everybody's sick of the Zoom meetings, right? And, uh, you know, I, Dick Best, wonderful guy, just left this church. He, he moved to Portland. Now he can't see 10 feet in front of him, he said, because um, of all the smoke in, in the area and everything. Can't leave his house. But weekly he calls me, and we just have this little short conversation. And He misses being here with us. He misses being in the room with us. One couple uh, recently emailed me. They've, they've kept a connection with our church over the years as they've moved down south. But then they texted me and my wife this week, and they said, we put our house on the market. We're selling. We're moving back up. And they just really long to be back in the room with us in a, in a day-to-day setting uh, of life where, you know, with this church again. And over the years, people have moved away from this church, and they still write me or call me or text me and contact me, and they say you know, that they really have not found a fellowship like this. And I think that's such a wonderful uh, image or, 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 or word for our church, right? And all, all that affects a person's walk in the Lord. It really does. Um, somebody said to me this week that they're an introvert, so when COVID first hit and they had to be on lockdown, they loved it. They just worked around their house. They just did, did stuff at home. But after a while, they started to be becoming a little bit depressive and they realized that they needed their church they needed to be around their, their their brothers and sisters so we'd like to say that we are self-sufficient that we're self-feeders right and and in in this spiritual life and emotional life and we do have that personal responsibility to always sort of engage with our own spiritual formation to make those steps towards the lord ourselves but the trinity itself sort of uh, reflects the fact that we do need community. We do need community, right? You're not to meant to be out of fellowship or be limited in your fellowship, uh, you know, for a long, long periods of time. God's grace may go with us for a time when we're forced into solitude or forced out of, out of community, but when the opportunity arises for us to reconnect, we embrace it with a passion because it is really good for our souls to be together, to sharpen each other, to be, to be encouraging of one another. We spur one another on best when we're in the room together, right? When we have these these physical re, uh, uh, interactions. I went at Joe's. Um, Joe had a bunch of guys over to my house last night for his uh, bachelor party. We just sat around a campfire and talked about Joe, <laughs> right? And just all the words that these guys spoke about Joe. We all know Joe. We love Joe because Joe is a great guy. And and just all that he does for all he's done for these guys in his life. Just by being interactive with them throughout time has been was a real blessing to hear. I was I was really really encouraged by that, because you know together there's a greater chance for deeper communication, for reading a face, the intonation of a voice, the the body language behind it, and all that kind of stuff. And in meeting together, we hear another's interaction with the Word of God or or what God's doing in their life, and it speaks to our own spiritual journey. There's something that, that in that interaction that really encourages our souls and our own, own faith. You know, somebody might avoid this, right? You know, when, when habits have been uh, formed, uh, you know, after not meeting for a time, you know, avoidance due to indifference or insecurity maybe, you know, but that's only reacting to the lies of the evil one. We are meant to be together, spurring one another on in, in, in the faith. 
You know, someone told me last week that after the service, they had a really difficult three-hour conversation about faith and gospel with a, a, a family member. And they needed to hear, like when they relayed that, relayed that story to me, the first thing I said was, good job. They needed to hear that from another brother or sister in Christ. Just a, a word of encouragement, like, I know that was difficult for you, but that was a really good job. Because we, when we go without that sort of physical, in, intense... Uh, encouragement, it, it depletes us over time. So grab hold of that strongly, right? You know, my son, I'm going to praise my son a little bit. Uh, Aiden was, he's my oldest son. He was walking recently, uh, walking home with his wife uh, in Philadelphia. They live down in, um, I forget what the section is, near Fishtown. But they, they live down in that area, and they live in a little row home they've just bought when they got married. And he was walk. They were walking home one night at midnight, and uh, they stumbled across a guy, uh, like just sitting with his arms down, you know, with uh, kind of like this. And uh, Aiden said to his wife, I, "We should go over there. I feel like the Lord is telling me we should go over and talk to him." She's like, "No, no. It's like midnight. Let's get home." Blah blah blah. He's like, "No, I think we need to go over there." So he went went over and he shook the guy, and the guy didn't move. And so he knocked on the door. And the guy's uncle came out. This guy was like 24, 25 years old, sitting on the stoop. And his uncle came out. And Aiden, and Aiden said, do you know this guy? And he says, yeah, that's my nephew. And he said, well, he's not, he's not really responding. And so his, the uncle pushed the, the guy a little bit, and he fell over. And he, he had passed away because of a, that was so sad, you know, uh, sorry, a heroin overdose. And the uncle was standing there. And had just had his other nephew die, I think, a, a month before from the same thing. So here's Aiden and Jenna sitting there. And Aiden, uh, Aiden immediately starts praying over the guy. He said, can I pray for you right now? And starts to tactfully share the gospel with him. His wife was praising him a little bit about this. She was like, you, you just don't understand. Like, his, he was perfect with his words and things like that. And, you know, so they, they've kept up this little relationship. And, um, you know, he's, he's seen the guy since. And I'm praying that, that that would result in a greater, deeper relationship and a walk with Christ in this man's life. So I, I, stay, I say all that to praise my son, one. But also that Aiden grew up in this church, right? This was his church for many, many years now he's moved away, right? He has a wife. He has a lot of good Christian friends, and he's got a strong Christian church in Philadelphia right now that encourage him along in his faith. And what what he did, let me point this out very clearly, what he did was not just of himself. And I think that's important to remember. He, it has roots in years of discipleship and faith, faith building in the body of Christ. It's what we've all poured into him. Right? As we've interacted with him over time. Dave and Donna, Christy, uh, Bill Massey, um, they've all been delivering meals for either Easter outreach uh, or manna in the, in the city. They drive around and they, they bring meals to people that need it. And they've ta- taken opportunity over those times to stop and to pray over people. And, you know, and, and that's really... Um, their, their faith, I think it was Donna that said to me, her faith is growing bolder in these interactions, which is a direct influence of this church, I think, and the vineyard as a whole. That's, that's the work of the po- partnership of the gospel that I think Paul is talking about in this, this epistle. There are stories that we uh, remember of our own people that 
you know, which encourage us, they embolden us in, you know, to be more active in our kingdom work ourselves and to more be stronger in our own faith. Todd Hall this week, he texted me that he had taken the time to pray over a sister of a man that he had been friends with, but the man took his life this week and his sister texted him back and he was able to call her and pray over her. I've seen Rachel pray over and counsel many people. I, I mean, I could sit here and list all kinds of names. Lindley, Mike, Rob, Christy, uh, Chris, Chris and Chelsea, Donna and Dave, Vinny, Mary, Jack, Greg, um, Albert, you know, Kathleen, Chuck, uh, Jordan. You know, all these different people in our church. I could sit here and I could list all of your names Right, And I could list story after story of very practical care and ministry towards others. That's exciting to me. And that's encouraging to me. And Paul has, has memory and prayer. Right, He's locked away from these people. He has memory and prayer. That's it. Right, So he remembers the stories and the faces and the names and all that stuff. He remembers the work of the Philippian believers over time on behalf of the gospel. It's not just that they supported him financially that he feels an affinity towards them. He's encouraged by their willingness to share Christ in a very difficult place and to endure suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. In an effort to be a good brother in Christ, he prays for these people, right? He prays for every single one of them, all of them, not just leadership, right? He's, he's a leader himself. He's not just praying for other leaders. He's praying for every single person, the whole church, every single person that is all that are all valuable to the work of the kingdom in a local church's life. And Paul knows that there's more for them, right? I hope we're praying for our church that way, right? I cover your prayers, and, and I hope that we're praying for each other in that way for, and being grateful for a very healthy church. Paul knows there's more, though, right? Christ is completing his work in these people, right? Greater things were to come for them and also for us in our ministry as, as well. You know, you... Uh, you may be, feel kind of numb or, or turned off in your spiritual walk right now, but I would just say to you, persevere. Persevere. Keep walking. Keep going. Since the Spirit of God will take you down new paths, new roads, as you're faithful to remain true to the call of Christ in His kingdom work. Paul continues in verse 7, if you want to read with me, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming uh, the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me, and God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Now, let's be honest that some of us... uh, when we're discussing faith issues, we kind of, some of us kind of cringe at emotive words, you know, like feel or phrases like you're in my heart and, or, or I long for you with all this affection, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and we, people like that are afraid that, um, that an overly emotive pro, approach to faith will, will lead to the erosion of truth. I may be taking a little bit of a stretch here, but I think it is true that everyone will, everything will devolve into popular phrases like love wins. 
You've heard that, right? There's a very popular Christian phrase, phrase, love wins. Like, it covers over everything and all that kind of stuff, and it doesn't really matter what you do because love wins. Well, that disregard, you know, we're afraid that 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 kind of disregards the deeper aspects of Scripture concerning our call into holiness, into purity, and keeping with the higher moral standards, you know, as we reflect, we seek to reflect God in our lives. Well, if you're of that kind of thought life, you know, you're right. You're right, but you're also wrong, right? You're right and you're also wrong. Others in this room love this, the emotive language. Our faith is just sort of out of this sense of feeling things, right? We just love to feel how close to Jesus when Mary and Vinny um, lead worship. We just love it, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, uh, we, we want our faith to be like flowers and sunsets and cinnamon-scented candles, right? And we just love that stuff. And you're also right and you're also wrong, Right? Paul's emotion here, you have to remember, towards these people, these, these emotive, sort of affectionate words, uh, are a, a, th- there's a deep connection to people who have been willing for a long time to fight the good fight of the gospel. Right? These are true, wonderful Christians. They, they, they've not cut corners in their faith. They've stayed true to the whole gospel. In and out of it, right? Their gospel hasn't been light. Or mere, uh, like sort of a mere pursuit of good feelings. They are living it out. You know, emotion and affinity should play a part in our faith and in our relationships. We should allow ourselves to sort of feel close and to weather the storms that affection actually brings. But we should also be willing to climb the cliffs of faith. Right to to navigate the great rapids in, of life in the boat of a sort of scriptural integrity, together bleeding for the gospel, laying aside personal desire for the sake of Jesus' name and others, standing along other people in under persecution even with joy, and that's done together. That's done together. You can't walk the Christian life alone. American individuality, where we see it as just Jesus and me, isn't sufficient. It doesn't work. Right? That's why being a part of a local church is super duper important. Each of us should be personally pursuing Jesus. It's my responsibility in my walk to do that. You as well. But equally, we should be equally aware that Christ works so deeply through the church, through other believers. And when we connect affectionately in the unity of Christ with others, we get something. There's a deep and powerful and encouraging fellowship which occurs and feeds our soul. Paul's affinity grows out of their solidity in the faith and in the gospel. That's what he's really like attracted to in them. And this relationship has nourished his soul and continues to do so, even from afar, which is not weakness. And it's no less spiritual than your personal connection with the Holy Spirit in life. Right? It's a holistic ministry to to the soul of each other when we can share hardships and joys at the same time. And I think this may be one of the greatest faults of the Western church 
is that not to appreciate the power of fellowship and how spiritually nurturing it is. So there are typically two sides, you know, the cerebral, logic-oriented folk and the emotive, experience-oriented folk. And the gospel calls us to think to root ourselves in truth, binding ourselves to the call and commands of Scripture, right? To allow them to govern life for us. To bring emotion under the authority and the guidance of God's Word and, and the Gospel. Enabling us, therefore, to, to weather all kinds of situations, and even, even persecution, In being rooted in God's Word, we are freed and emotion takes its proper place. It's not unwieldy. Unified in God's Word, we're unleashed actually to feel what we should feel and the feelings don't become misleading or destructive. Rather they say, they they serve, uh, excuse me, uh, Christ's purposes as they were meant to, right? And it's there also that logic is reined in. And logic is, uh, it becomes not cold or unfeeling, but it can take on a passion fueled by the gospel, gospel in unity with others. We need each other. So if you're more emotive and experiential in nature, allow your more cerebral brothers or sisters to influence you. And if you're more cerebral, you know, allow your more emotive brothers and sisters in Christ to loosen you up, right? We need balance. Standing firm in truth, but passionate about it as well. What, what good is it if we're not passionate about it? If you're, if you're filled with anxiety and you, you know, get around those who you've, you, you see having a strong, bold faith who don't seem to have anxiety in the face of Christ, right? And, and allow them to rub off on you. Emulate and copy others, copy strong faith around you of others until it becomes your own. And this is really where faking it until you make it actually works. You know, like Paul Grow appreciative of church. Grow appreciative of church, right? Give up the popular propensity in Christian circles right now to constantly criticize Christians and church and our history. Give that up. Leave that go. Begin to appreciate all that church life brings and how it blesses us so richly. And realize that next, that next, right here, Paul re- reveals exactly what he prays for them. Let's, let's read, uh, I forget which, I think it's verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and, what, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, this last little grouping is probably our richest, meatiest text for today, right? Remember, the Philippian church started with just a few Greek women, you know, worshiping what they, they didn't really understand or know beside a river. But they were open to hearing truth, 
Right? And so Paul walks up and he preaches Christ to them from the Hebrew scriptures as he always had with everybody else that he ran across. And he preaches the gospel from the Old Testament since the New Testament was still being written. And as a matter of fact, he's writing part of it right here. And it all culminates in his story of Christ's death and his resurrection for them. And they embrace it. And what happened to them has happened, or at least I hope it's happened to you, right? That they fell in love with Jesus in that moment. And a church was born, right? And it's, it's their faith beginning that we see there. And Paul's already said that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Do you believe that, right? From beginning to end, God is at work in us. And Paul is very confident of this. And we should, we should, uh, we should take him at his word. So he plays off that initial love in order that they'll grow and flower all the more in their faith. You know, but, but in, you know, exactly in what? Some ethereal, you know, blind faith without roots, you know, a feel good notion about a God of love. Oh, love wins and that's about it, right? No, we all know that. He wants them to grow in the knowledge and the depth of insight of a long and sometimes very difficult history. But a wonderful story about who God is, what His character is, and how He pursues His people in the Scriptures. And the secret is that in knowing God, that in knowing God you, more fully, you know yourself more fully. In knowing God more fully, you know yourself more, more fully. We don't just come to Jesus and that's it, right? <laughs> Ours is not a shallow, uninformed, uneducated faith. It's just not. We don't gather just to chase good feelings, although it's nice when they happen. Individually and corporately, we delve deeply into the scriptures and, you know, in order to gain more of a vibrant, full grasp as to what God is doing in His Word and in the world and, and how we can engage with it, how we can be a partner, a partner in it. And the scriptures bring depth and insight to life. A lot of people are walking away from them right now, but they, they bring a depth and an insight to life. I, I watched my new favorite preacher this week, um, the sermon by him, Vodi Bauckham, uh, and recently he was addressed in this, in this, uh, in this sermon, he was addressing racial reconciliation, right? And uh, the guy is brilliant. I love him. I love how he speaks. I love his demeanor. I love his tone. He's just a great guy. And um, he, he voiced concern that Christians are all being more sort of influenced by outside literature and ideas rather than the Scriptures. That we're kind of giving up our, 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 um, our, our love affair with the Word of God. And it's not that we should not read other things, you know, that, that, we, that, that, that other things do bring, bring, you know, knowledge and betterment to us and things like that. But, he asked, do we view the scriptures as sufficient for all matters of faith and practice and life? Can a person read the scriptures and come away with the idea that racism or any other sinful attitude or violent attitude are wrong uh, and that we can be changed and made better by the scripture's influence? And the answer is yes, it is absolutely sufficient for such things. There's no way that you could sit on the desert on a desert island with only the Bible to read and come away as a racist. 
It's not in there. It's not in there. The Great Commission itself speaks against that notion. You know, Paul's travels and his heart to bring the gospel to those different than himself speaks against that. Right? But you'll say, well, but Jason, people, people uh, justified slavery with the scriptures. Right? Somebody will always give you that argument. Well, show me the argument. I've never heard it work. Right? I've never heard it work. You know, you can't find one in the scripture to, towards those things and, and, and make it work. It just doesn't. Can you justify that in the scriptures? No, you can't, and they didn't. Anybody said that did not make a good argument. It was, it's not there. They tried, but they don't really care about Jesus or about other people or about the Bible. They really don't. They had not really read His Word with an open heart to learn and be led by the Holy Spirit, and they were only proof-texting for their own agenda. Let's not believe the the false history of of the church, right? That says, oh, the church has always been racist. That, That is not true. It is not true. See, we allow ourselves all the time to be be, um, changed by the words of others. Ideas, philosophies, ideologies, voices, and oftentimes that ends in devastation and destruction. It really does. And it's very important right now. Right? Because the current violence and the unbelievable demands that we're seeing in our country right now and the capitulation to them is due greatly to one single theory. And that, that, is simply, that, that theory is simply a very biblically errant and wrong and it is called critical race theory. We, we are the people that have the words of God. We are the people that say you should love everybody, no matter who they are, you know, whatever strata they are in the, the economic world or whatever their skin color is and everything. We are those people. But right now, critical race theory is tearing our, 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 our whole country apart, right? And when you immerse yourself uh, in the scriptures and the beauty of it, lining that theory up alongside of it, you find it's literally a comparison of dark and light. There's nothing good about it. And this theory, which is driving all of what we're seeing today out there and taught so often in our schools, is nothing but deception, promising light, and freedom, and positive change. But like the father of lies, it's a lie which cannot deliver that. And ultimately damages and further divides. And if you want to know what that is, there's plenty online to look at that. But you can also go back to the third sermon in, in the, the last series that we did, All Peoples, and, and listen to that. And it's described in that sermon. I just don't have time to do it today. But the question is, today, when do we give God's Word the chance to change us? The, the chance to soak into us? When do we dress ourselves in the armor of God and to be able to see the enemy coming from afar through, the, the, through insidious ideologies and lies? When do we really do that? Because right now, Satan is whispering in our ears and we're listening. We don't need to meet him on the battlefield. We're inviting him right into our homes. Vodi stated that the scriptures are sufficient uh, for all of life. And he said it much more eloquently than I can. 
The very words of life. The very words of God recorded for, for our guidance. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a guide to unfold the wisdom within the Scriptures, within the Word of God. Jesus said in John 14, 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And remember, Jesus honored all of the Scriptures in the past, before, you know. See, most people are not significantly changed by the Bible for a couple of reasons. One, firstly, they, they really don't have a habit of exploring them. Think about how often you actually have a quiet time, right? They simply don't take the time daily to delve into the Word with an open heart. Not just to read it for an academic sake, but with an open heart. Right? Allowing it to nourish your soul and serve as a bulwark against all those lies coming at you all the time. So they don't sit prayerfully looking at a passage with a few basic questions like, what does this passage teach me about God? And what does this passage teach me about me? And what does this passage teach me about how I respond to God in light of all that? Secondly, if they do read the scriptures, they they fail to regard them as God-breathed. They don't really believe that they're falling out of the mouth of God. And therefore, they believe that they can take it or leave it just like anything else. They can pick and choose what they'd like to take from it and assimilate into their lives, but they're not going to take the whole of it. If you're in that category, let me just say very clearly, you are in absolute danger. You are in absolute danger. Your pride before the Lord is evident thinking that you are above the counsel of God. You have very little hope if you think like that. And your only recourse is to repent and believe God. That's, it's, that's the simple truth. You have to repent and believe God. Thirdly, people may believe the scriptures um, the, the scriptures are God-breathed, but they, they're, they're self-condemning, right? They lack the faith to say, God can and is willing to change me by this. Oh, everybody else gets the benefits, but I don't get it. And when you read Philippians 4, 6, which we'll do in a couple weeks, and it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, offer uh, with thanksgiving, uh, present your request to God. Right? When you read that verse, do you believe that the practice of prayer and petition and thanksgiving and approaching God with all of your requests will make a difference in your life? Do you really actually believe that? Is your heart open to, to God changing you? Because that's the definition of faith, right? Choosing to believe even when your own unruly heart doesn't want to believe. The obedience of faith. Inevitably, somebody's going to say to me, well, Jason, I've tried that, right? I've tried that. It didn't work. Well, remember, we live lives of instant gratification here, don't we, in America? Right? Instant gratification. But remember, soul work takes time. It takes a lot lot of time. Sometimes that change is swift, but most often it is protracted over a long period, which, is, which actually brings more solid, true change to your life. Remember, you've taken years to get where you are, 
And it's not going to be reversed quickly. You can't untie that knot right away, usually. Partner with the Lord and partner with others to grow in your faith by believing God. And I saw that in Joe's life last night. Uh, Rob Schaefer shared a bunch of stuff and just seeing how that over a long period of time we are changed by each other's ministry to each other as the Holy Spirit works through us by by the Scriptures, right? Remember, the Scriptures are revealed to us. And Jesus is revealed in them. They don't originate from within us. They're given to us, right? You and I don't actually have, even in all of our pride, we don't actually have all that we need to thrive and to walk in righteousness in this world. We don't have it within us to begin with, right? God's word has to be tasted, and I wanted to use this word, masticated. Isn't that a great word? And ingested. If you don't know what masticated means, it means chew. I love, I love it though. But tasted and chewed upon and then ingested, taken into yourself. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel's call to be a prophet of Israel. You may never have read this. You may have read it. I'm not sure. But he says to Ezekiel, do not be afraid. He's calling him to be a prophet to Israel, right? And Israel is being unruly at that moment. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them. Though they are a rebellious people, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen. For they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me and it was a scroll. And it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. And on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll and then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, Ezekiel says, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. Anytime God repeats something in the scripture numerous times, you should listen to it. That means it's important, right? So he says again, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And then he said to me, Son of man, now go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. This is the image I want to leave you with today. One of daily sitting down to a meal of God's word and how important that is. Filling your belly, being nourished by his healthy food to the end of which Paul states right here in chapter 1 so that you may be able to discern what is best. That you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God, which is our end goal of worshiping God, right? So that you're not confused, that you're knocked knocked off balance, that Christ begins to consistently sort of emanate from every pore of your body, becoming a blessing to all people around you with God's words, with his thoughts. And as Paul said to the Ephesians, 
then when we do these things, when we practice these things together, individually and corporately, when we practice these things, these things, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there with every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up up in love as each part does its work. So this is what the Philippian church did. This is what they were doing and to which we are also called. There was a lot in their, in their day, in their time, which could have tossed them back and forth, which could have knocked them off center. You know, and, and there's a lot for us right now, isn't there? There's a lot for our kids right now. The things that they are starting to implement in schools right now are unheard of. And I'm not being dramatic. As a matter of fact, moms and dads, you are the greatest influence of your children. Right? Teach them well. Input into their lives the Word of God. Get into that parenting community group, right? And learn. Learn yourself. Build your faith so that you can actually be an influence on your children. Let's do well for the sake of Christ's name and for the salvation of others. This is our calling. Get into the Word. Use that right now, that free, (laughs) right now media uh, account that we've set up for you to study. Instead of watching Netflix or something else on YouTube, pop that on and learn something. Feed your soul. It's a great tool. Eat. 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 Right? Open your mouth and eat. Be fed. Gain discernment. Gain wisdom so that you can fight off the lies being thrown at you and become useful tools in the hands of Jesus for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen to that? Amen. Let me pray for us.